Okay, welcome back guys. Um, we have just got finished with Noah and the Ark and how that it foreshadows baptism and the necessity of baptism. And we're diving into the next major biblical person, personage uh, on our radar in the book of Genesis. And, and you'll notice as we walk through here that the law is bringing us to Jesus Christ. So we start in Genesis 3.15, and we see that there will be a seed. It will be born of a woman, a covenant people. It will bruise the head of the serpent. The serpent will bruise his heel. We see then through Cain and Abel that the schoolmaster adds some elements. And one of those elements is the power of the blood. The other is the substitution of the lamb. And when we get to Noah, the schoolmaster adds some other elements, water, the burial of sin by the water, coming up from that water in resurrection, according to 1 Peter 3, 18 to 21. And what this is, is found in Isaiah 28. Isaiah 28, 11, 12, 13, where the scripture says, whom shall he teach knowledge? Whom shall he make to understand doctrine, those who are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little. And so what I'm giving you here, by the grace of God, is the here a little and there a little. It's the precept upon precept. It's, it's the idea that sequentially we are adding increasingly complex ideas to where when you finally get to Jesus, it's, it's simple. It's, it's a multi-layered, multi-strata approach to increasingly complex themes. That's how you learn math, addition, subtraction, multiplication, division. And by the time you start adding letters and imaginary numbers, you can understand more complex themes because you laid the simple themes sequentially on top of each other. Every educator knows this. And God, who is the master educator, tells us that. And at the end of that, Isaiah 28, he said that if you get all that right, here's what's going to happen. With stammering lips and another tongue, God will speak to this people to whom he said this, this stammering lips and this other tongue, this is the rest wherewith ye may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing. So, um... Let me give you a little preview. I am a tongue talker. Pentecostals do talk in tongues. And if you're interested in the outpouring of the Holy Ghost and the wildfire of Pentecostalism that is sweeping the globe, then you'll get this line upon line and precept upon precept. And if you don't watch out, you might become a tongue talker too. <laughs> so, um, so let's look at it. Abraham is the next... He's the next big character, figure, that we see following the book of Noah. We come from the flood. Uh, we go to the plains of Mamre. We go to the Tower of Babel, which God judges them. He divides their tongues there, which we could talk a lot about that. But he divides their tongues. He divides the nations. Ham goes south. Shem stays centrally located in the known world at that time. Japheth goes up into the European countries. And that word Shem is 
where we get the Sim and Semitic. So it's a Shemitic people. And so the Jews are from that line of Shem. And that's where the Old Testament is centered. That's the people of God in that Old Covenant era that, that God deals with. Okay, so now Abram is raised up from that, those people. He is Abram and his wife is Sarai. God changes their name when he makes a covenant with them and he calls him Abraham. No more will you be called Abram, you will be called Abraham. And Sarai, you will not be called Sarai, you will be Sarah. And he makes covenant with them and he changes their name. And when God makes a covenant with people, he changes their name in the scripture. Names were a big deal in the Hebrew culture. And it is a mistake to think that names don't matter. Hebrews know that names matter. Jewish people understand this. Americans toss that idea out in their ignorance, in their lack of understanding. The name matters. And that is one reason why we do baptize in the name of Jesus. So we start to see the importance of the name emerging, the, the concept of names. And Jesus, who uh, the name actually means Jehovah salvation. And uh, in, in, in Hebrew, it would have been Yeshua. And, and that is the same name as Joshua in the Old Testament. Those names are a big deal. It's another study for another day, but, um, but the name matters. And we see that with Abraham and Sarah as God changes their name. And when you get baptized in Jesus' name, you will get a name change too. You'll take on the name of Jesus and, and that, that covenant name will be placed on you. Okay, so Abraham brings a lot of thematic elements. He is the father of the faithful. He is the father of the Jewish nation. It is here that the covenant is made. He comes out from among all the peoples of the world. And, and God tells him that he will bless him, that he will increase him. He will curse those who curse him, bless those who bless him. And in Abraham and his seed will all the families of the earth be blessed. His children will be like the sand, which is by the seashore. They will be like the stars of heaven. Okay, now... In apostolic theology, that sand by the seashore is a physical promise. And, and we believe that part of that is that he will be the father of the Jewish nation. It will be tangible. It will be physical. You can run the sand through your fingers. It was a physical covenant. But there would also be a second element to this, which is the stars of heaven. It would be a heavenly covenant. And, and they are innumerable as the sand, but yet they are in the sky. And, and as the sand was readily there, it was touchable, Israel would be right there. It would be a, a physically immediate covenant that was within grasp. Whereas there was one that was still a long ways off. It was heavenly. And one was of the earth, one was of the heavenly. And that would be the stars. And those stars are not bound by geography. They shine over Africa. They shine over the Americas. They shine over Europe, they shine over Australia, all, over all the continents of the earth. And that was a sign that God would have children through Abraham. Gentiles would have access into this Jewish covenant. Um, and so the scripture says it was to the Jew first, <clears throat> and it was also to the Greek, to the Gentile. <clears throat> so Abraham is the father of both Jew and Gentile in terms of the kingdom of God 
and the church. So Abraham is our father, and it is here with that understanding that we launch into what he represents for us. God gives him a covenant sign, and that covenant sign is circumcision. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about circumcision and what it means, how it distinguishes, and, and I want to speak to my Jewish friends on this and um, my Middle Eastern friends, Muslims, others, other people of the book that, that spring from the Abrahamic monotheistic faiths. The apostolic Christians are one God Christians. We do not use the word Trinity because it does violation to the absolute monotheism of the scripture. And we get that from Abraham. And so we're not playing word games and trying to talk about persons in the Godhead and, and how actually they're one, but they're really three. We're not doing that. There is absolutely one God. He is, he is the one God of the scripture. And, and these themes are very powerful. So circumcision means a lot. And, and it was very true in the ancient culture. It is still true today. And we're going to talk about how and why. Because Paul spends a long time talking about how physical circumcision does not benefit anybody in the New Testament. So if it doesn't benefit, then how is it important? Well, we're going to talk about that. And I hope after today you'll have a clearer understanding of that. Okay, so God tells Abraham to circumcise his son, all the males in his household, and those that are under his influence. And so circumcision becomes, it becomes the covenant sign, the token of the covenant, to the point where, where the scripture says in Deuteronomy that the uncircumcised man has broken my covenant. He shall be cut off from my people. And so we'll talk about that as well. That's a big deal. If, if he just stays in his natural state, he has broken the covenant of God. So we'll deal with that. Um, so what is circumcision? It is literally the cutting away of flesh. That's what it is. Um, it, it was something that the Hebrews propagated. It distinguished them from the pagan, heathen nations around them. It identified them as the covenant people of God and it was readily obvious who the Jews were and who everybody else was. And so when David goes to fight Goliath, he does not call him a giant, he calls him an uncircumcised Philistine. And so that was the covenant sign in the Old Testament and, and many times the Bible referred to Jewish people versus Gentiles as the circumcised and the uncircumcised. So that's how the scripture uh, looks at it. In the Old Testament, circumcision was necessary for, for the covenant. And it is still necessary in a spiritual manner in the New Testament. And the scripture refers to a spiritual circumcision. Because here's the truth. Cutting off skin does not make a person more or less holy. Paul teaches this. Paul teaches us that that if a circumcised person does not obey the law, 
then his circumcision is made uncircumcision. And if an uncircumcised person, a Gentile, do by nature the things contained in the law, then his uncircumcision will be counted for circumcision. Because the physical act of circumcision was always a shadow. It was always a foreshadowing. It was always teaching us how to come to Jesus. So let me tell you what it is in a spiritual context. To be uncircumcised is to be fleshly minded. And to be circumcised means to be spiritually minded. We're going to cut away the flesh. We're going to cut away the carnal. That word carnal, carne, it means flesh. It's where we get, uh, in the Spanish word, carne is meat and, or flesh. In the word carnival, it means a, a fleshly pleasure. Um, so this idea of flesh and carnality, we're going to cut that away. And that's in the Old Testament. That's not just the New Testament. Go to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 18, and let's look at verse 15. Here's what the Bible says. Moses said this, The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me. Unto him ye shall hearken. It'll be a prophet like unto me. So that's the shadow. That's the figure. It's not going to be Moses, but it's going to be like Moses. A prophet like unto me. Now, concerning circumcision, go to Deuteronomy chapter 10 and let's read what Moses said about that. Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 16. Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no more stiff necked or stubborn. Now, they were already circumcised. Their bodies, they had followed the Mosaic law. Their bodies were circumcised, but they were still carnal. They, they, they had followed the physical act, but they hadn't allowed it to change their heart and make them spiritually minded people. God is a spirit, and he doesn't want outward conformity while inside you're full of wickedness. And so... Here's a group of circumcised people, and Moses says, you guys still don't have it yet. Circumcise the foreskin of your heart. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean God's going to cut our chest open and somehow cut skin off of our heart? No, no. No, it's a spiritual statement that you're going to cut away the flesh. You're going to cut away the fallen, sinful condition. You're going to cut away the Adamic nature. That evil side of you, you're going to cut it away. We read again. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6. And let's read it a little further. Look what Moses tells them. Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 6. And here is where he's giving the great promises to the people of God and the covenant being renewed between Israel and the Lord. Deuteronomy 30 and verse 6. And the Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart and the heart of thy seed, to love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul that thou mayest live. Well, how is he going to circumcise your heart? What knife could ever penetrate to a person's heart in that Old Testament era? And they, the, the answer is the word of God. 
that cuts sharper than any physical blade ever could. The, the rabbi's knife can cut away flesh, but the, the knife of the Word of God can, can separate between soul and spirit and the joints and the marrow and the thoughts and the intents of the heart. It's the Word of God sharper than any two-edged sword. That's Hebrews 4.12, and it tells you that it will do that circumcision. Come with me to Jeremiah chapter 4. Let's read Jeremiah chapter 4 and verse 4. This, was, this one says it so dramatically. Here's what the prophet Jeremiah said to them. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord and take away the foreskins of your heart. Ye men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my fury come forth like fire and burn that none can quench it because of the evil of your doings. So you've got circumcision in your flesh, but you're full of wickedness and sin. So circumcise the foreskin of your hearts. What a statement. What a statement to become spiritually minded rather than carnally minded. So cutting away a couple inches of skin doesn't make you more or less holy, but cutting away the flesh of your fallen life, now that will. So that's the circumcision that we read about in the New Testament. So for those of you that are still a little confused, go with me to Romans chapter two. Um, we, the Bible does teach that physical circumcision is not necessary for salvation. I'm not advocating for the, the need for physical circumcision. So if you're not physically circumcised, it doesn't mean that you cannot go to heaven. Um, that was an Old Testament shadow. It was an Old Testament precursor to a greater spiritual truth. This is what a shadow and type is. It is a spiritual truth. A, uh, a shadow and type is a physical example of a spiritual truth. And so, um, we don't have lambs that we sacrifice in the New Testament. Jesus is the lamb. And we don't have a high priest that goes into a holy place. Jesus is the high priest. And we don't physically circumcise any longer because we circumcise in the spirit. We cut away the foreskin of our hearts. And so if you're confused about that, come with me to Romans chapter 2. And let's go to verse 25. Romans 2, verse 25. For circumcision verily profiteth if thou keep the law. But if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. Therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? And shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee, who by the letter and circumcision does transgress the law? For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. God's not trying to cut skin off of people to make them holy. God is trying to cut away the fallen sinful nature of Adam, the flesh. And that's the real circumcision. So I am a Jew inwardly, not outwardly. It's not about my DNA and my genetics and my physical tracing uh, of, of my lineage to Abraham. But it is, I'm, 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 of, the, I'm of the stars of heaven. 
And that part of the Abrahamic covenant, the heavenly covenant that is spiritual in nature. And so I'm a Jew inwardly. My circumcision is inward in my spirit. And we'll see this here where this is played out. Go with me to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 11 is talking about Jesus, is talking about Christ, and Paul says this to the church at Colossia. In whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. Made without hands. What does that mean? It means it's of the Spirit. It means it will be a circumcision that has a precision that is so profound that no doctor, no rabbi could ever hope to cut with such a precision. Instead of cutting away a little skin, God's going to cut away your evil, your unbelief, your carnality, your wickedness, your idolatry, your adultery, your fornication, your lying, your racial hatred. God's going to cut it all away. The scripture tells us what the works of the flesh are. They're found in Galatians 5.19. It's adultery, fornication, uncleanness, wickedness, covetousness, uh, lasciviousness, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, drunkenness, revelings, murders, and such like. So the works of the flesh are there. The flesh is to be cut away and it's to be done by the circumcision made without hands in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh. Watch this phrase, by the circumcision of Christ. So Jesus has a circumcision. We never read about him circumcising baby boys. We never read about this practice in the scripture, but yet here we have a circumcision of Christ. And it's without hands. How would you ever perform a physical procedure without hands? And the answer is you can't. It means it's of the spirit. It means that it's an interior circumcision. And it tells us what that is. Verse 12, buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. So the circumcision of Jesus Christ is to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and to be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. And that cuts away the flesh. So back away from the story and see Jesus on the cross. Jesus cut off the flesh. The Bible says that he was cut off and who shall declare his generation? Jesus cuts off the flesh. <clears throat> he is buried and he rises, he, he is raised again. He rises on the third day. And, and that is the circumcision. That's the cutting away of the flesh, the cutting away of the old man. And when you and I are buried with him in baptism, we cut off our flesh. We cut off our wicked nature, our old man. We receive the gift of the Holy Ghost and we are raised in newness of life. That's the circumcision of Christ. So circumcision is, a, is an example of baptism and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And it's, it's an example of the new birth. It never was about just cutting off skin. It was about cutting off your old, sinful, Adamic human nature. 
What do you think God wanted? To cut off skin or to cut off adultery and uncleanness and wickedness and lying and hatred and murder? That's what he wanted. He wanted us to circumcise the foreskin of our hearts, not just our bodies. So, this is an interesting thing. Because the Bible says the uncircumcised soul shall be cut off from his people. It says that the uncircumcised man has broken the covenant of God. So isn't that interesting? This is a sin of omission. Let me explain what I mean. There are sins of commission and there are sins of omission. A sin of commission is something you do. It's when you put your hand into the cookie jar, when you're not supposed to put your hand in the cookie jar. So you commit a sin. You have committed a sin by doing something. A sin of omission is where you don't do something. So him, he that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. So you can sin by doing nothing. You can sin by staying in your natural state. And to be uncircumcised was a sin of omission. And to stay unbaptized and unregenerated in the Holy Ghost is a sin of omission. Just like uncircumcision means you've broken the covenant, if you are not baptized and filled with his spirit, you have broken his covenant just by staying like you are. It's a sin of omission. And it's important to understand that except a man is born of the water and spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That's an important thing to understand. So now some scriptures begin to come to light here. When you read the story of Moses and he's going down to Egypt to deliver the message that God said to let my people go, his wife Zipporah meets him and she takes their son and she circumcises him and takes the foreskin and throws it at the feet of Moses. It's a very graphic and brutal story. Throws it at the feet of Moses and she says, a bloody husband art thou to me because an angel had stood in the way to kill Moses on his way down to Egypt. What, what kind of a story? Where does that come from? But if you'll lay the New Testament revelation of the new birth, and how that it is the circumcision of Christ, we're buried with him in baptism, we're raised through faith in the operation of the resurrection. It makes a lot of sense. Moses, in shadow and type, was going down to do the work of God without fulfilling the new birth. He was trying to preach something he himself had not done. He was going down with an incomplete understanding, and so he was a bloody husband. Zipporah steps in, she circumcises their son. It's the equivalent of making sure that you're baptized in the name of Jesus and you're filled with the Holy Ghost. You've got the circumcision of Christ, the circumcision made without hands because you can't do the work of God unless you've taken care of the covenant with God. And the angel stood ready to kill Moses right after the angel called him. So how many people out there listening to me are trying to set people free and you haven't even obeyed this covenant mandate. I implore you today, be circumcised with the circumcision of Christ. Become a Jew inwardly. Be baptized in the name of Jesus and be filled with the precious gift of the Holy Ghost. Get this line upon line and precept upon precept because it's not just about skin. 
It's about a deeper circumcision in Christ. And that is the covenant of Abraham that we're dealing with today. Thank you so much for your time. I hope this has been enlightening. I look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you.